0: Hello, hello everybody. This is Dr. Eeks, your host of Causes or Cures. Thanks so much for joining in. Glad you're here. Wherever you are joining in from, the listeners of this podcast. Last time I looked are from all over, which is kind of cool because I like to keep it global. I like the global perspective, especially when we talk about health topics. So Keeping in line with one of the topics I wanted to focus on for 2022, which is industry's influence on health, and that could be food policy, public health, public health policy, healthcare, drug prices, um, the relationship between industry and healthcare professionals, how much money drug companies might give doctors, all of that. This episode is right in line with that. We're going to talk about industry's influence on healthcare, um, And to do that with me today, my guest is Dr. Joel Lection, who is a physician in Canada. He is a researcher, a professor at York University, where he teaches about pharmaceutical policy. He's highly published, and by that I mean lots of peer-reviewed papers, hundreds, over a hundred for sure. Um, and while he has a lot of knowledge on the ways industry influences health, healthcare, health policy, all of the above, this podcast episode will focus on a recently published paper of his titled, A Ray of Sunshine, Transparency in Physician and Industry Relationships is Not Enough. Now, a little brief history, because we'll get into this more in the podcast. The Sunshine Act, well, a ray of sunshine refers to the Sunshine Act, which was basically an act that said doctors had to report how much money they got from drug companies. That's what it is in really simple terms. So he's going to talk about why the act came about, what it was supposed to accomplish versus what it actually did accomplish, how it affected the behavior of doctors, patients, consumers, all of that, and did transparency help? Obviously, from the title of the paper, um, more needed to be done. And he's going to talk about that and why more needed to be done. So give me a brief second here, guys, and we will connect to Dr. Joel in Canada. Okay, Dr. Joel Lection. you are at the School of Health Policy and Management at York University in Canada?
1: Um, Well, I used to be there. I retired from that about five and a half years ago. Um, I still have an, an, an emeritus appointment there. I also have a, an associate professor um, appointment at the University of Toronto um, that doesn't pay me anything. And I work as an emergency physician in one of the um, big downtown teaching hospitals in Toronto.
0: Okay. And you also, I read, have over... 160 peer-reviewed papers. So that's that's um, a lot.
1: Yeah, actually it's it's more than that now. Oh geez. <laughs> doesn't matter.
0: <laughs> it's a high number. Um yeah. and I also read, I think from your Wikipedia page that you were a member of the of Ontario's drug quality and therapeutics committee. And you oh, were,
1: many years ago. Many years that's ago. 30.
0: 30 years ago. And you were chair of the Drugs and Pharmacotherapy Committee of Ontario Medical Association for two years. That was many years ago too?
1: Many years ago too, yes.
0: Still, but it still all counts as as experience. Um, Yep. So (laughs) the paper that we're gonna discuss today, A, a ray of sunshine, transparency in physician and industry relationships is not enough. We're gonna get into that in a minute, but I wanted to ask you, since you're a doctor and a researcher, what made you get interested in this topic of industry's influence in general?
1: That's a long story, um, which started in the late 1960s. I'm a, a product of the, 19, the university um, experience of the 1960s and early to mid-1970s. A lot of student activism. I got involved with um, with that, and as my interests turned to um, healthcare, I started to do research into the pharmaceutical industry. Um, got into medical school, and realized how much um, interaction and influence there was. On the way, the doctors practiced um, from the because of their um, their relationship with the pharmaceutical companies, um, and so started researching and writing about that. Um, I think my first book was in 1984, which dealt with some of those topics.
0: Wow, 1984! So that was, and that was before. I mean how do I put this? Uh, a lot of other people might've started to take notice.
1: Yeah, it, it was, I mean, there were people in the U S that were concerned about this issue. There were a few people in Canada. There was, um, there were organizations in, um, Europe and in Australia, but it wasn't a, um, a major topic of, um, of writing or, um, discussion at that point in time
0: okay so let's get into the sunshine act um i thought maybe if we could talk about that first and why that came about and what people hoped it would accomplish and then we can kind of get into what it did and didn't do does that work sure
1: okay yep that's fine (laughs) okay
0: um yeah so this was this it went back to
1: 2014 right um, yeah, it's, I think actually the first tranche of data was from the second half of 2013. That's when the they started collecting the, the information. I mean, the, the genesis of the Sunshine Act were the hearings that um, Grassley, a Republican senator, held in the mid-2000s. Um, especially around um, disclosures by or they they discovered um, all the money that were that was going to um, a group of psychiatrists in the U.S. that wasn't being declared, that may or may not have been influencing what those psychiatrists were saying. Um, They tried to get legislation through, which didn't, which failed. Um, But then the Sunshine Act got attached to the Affordable Care Act. <clears throat> um, and with a, I think there was a couple of years when they had to work out the details about how things were gonna be um, declared and put up on a publicly available website, but that finally started in um, mid-2013.
0: Okay. And- According to the Sunshine Act, gifts and funds to physicians, I guess guess more than ten dollars, I think that's what it is.
1: Ten dollars or more or a um, hundred dollars from a single company. So if you get 20 gifts of five dollars, <laughs> that would still that would have to be declared.
0: Okay, okay, so it needs to be declared according to the Sunshine Act. So, what did they they hope? What did they hope that this would
1: accomplish? Well, if you read what people were saying when it came in, the idea was that patients would go to the website and look up um, their physician, Doctor X, and see that Doctor X had gotten ten thousand dollars from Merck and five thousand dollars from Pfizer, and so that when they went to their doctor they would um, then be um, able to say, well, you know, you're prescribing me a drug that's made by Merck. Is this being influenced by the the money that Merck gave you last year? That kind. Mm -hmm. It was felt that it would help patients understand whether or not the therapy that they were getting um, was, was due to the relationship that, Doctors had with companies.
0: Okay, and I also read uh, in your paper they were also maybe hoping that deans and hospital administrators would be able to look and see before they maybe hired a doctor what sort of conflicts of interest might might be there. If just anybody could look it up.
1: Yeah, anybody could look it up. It's, and the uh, the other thought was that um, that people might doctors might be um not they would they wouldn't be keen on having the relationships disclosed so some doctors may just decide not Mm. to bother to have relationships in the first place
0: okay that makes sense so they have the act 2014 late 2013 uh they also have this website open payments which allowed for a lot of research and and you can dig into the data, correct? To see. Yep. Okay. So what did we learn from, from
1: that? Well, from the research, the data on payments is one aspect, but what we're able, what you can do in the U S is you can link the data, the names of people who got payments with, um, The names of people who prescribed through medicare um, which means that you not only can see who got um, money from or transfers of value if you want to be more general so gifts um, meals that kind of thing you can see who got that but then you can see what their prescribing behavior was so you can put construct an association between um, people who got money from Pfizer and are they prescribing um, when they got that money or after they got that money, did they start to prescribe more Pfizer products than similar products from other companies? So you can create this. You can have a look and see whether or not there's an association between um, getting money from drug company, from a particular drug company, and prescribing products made by that company.
0: So what did the association show us? Were were branded drugs, what were these these funds, these gifts, these meals influencing the way physicians prescribe?
1: Well, the short answer is yes, they were. I mean, and this has been looked at in a number of um, a number of areas, so oncology, dermatology, psychiatry, um, and and other other groups of drugs. And what we can see is that even small gifts can um, are associated with changes in prescribing behaviors. So there was one particular paper that people often refer to um, they looked at um, doctors who attended um, who got meals from drug company from a drug company that was worth um, twenty dollars and that meal of twenty dollars which is what the price of a Big Mac and fries and, and a coke um, so that that Kind of a meal still influences the way, or is associated with um, changes in prescribing behavior.
0: Wow, wow, that that's amazing. Now, were they able to gather data on the types of gifts? I mean, and it, I know you just said small, a small gift influenced behavior, but were there larger gifts? And
1: go oh, yeah, ahead. some doctors. Um, get hundreds of thousands of dollars um, Mm -hmm. from drug companies um, in various ways. So they may be on speakers bureaus. In other words, they're hired to, depending on how influential they're thought to be, they're either doing this at a local level or a regional level or a national level. They go and they give talks to other doctors some doctors are on um, company advisory boards, um, so there. Some doctors earn a considerable amount of money um, from from companies. It, it depends on your prescribing behavior and how much they want, how much the companies want to um, to influence you. So if you're if you're not prescribing any drugs made by Merck, um, they may ignore you. On the other hand, Mm. if they look at your, um, if they think that you're liable to increase your prescribing of drugs by Merck, they might give you more money. Um, They cultivate doctors to become what are called key opinion leaders. Mm -hmm. Um, So those people will get money to do um, to do research, um, they may hmm. um, get money to, as I said, become go on speakers bureaus um, to amplify the messages that drug companies want to um, get out about the the value of their products.
0: Okay, so they the hope up from the Sunshine Act, or they hoped that this act would change behavior, I guess maybe make it more ethical or at least more transparent, or they hoped that maybe doctors would change their behaviors. What, did did anybody change their behavior or was it business as usual?
1: By and large, it was business as usual. Um, There isn't any substantial evidence that individual doctors change well sorry let me rephrase that some individual doctors may have changed their behaviors um, but by and large on there was no substantial change when you look at the mass of doctors who are out there Um, similarly um, the companies didn't really change their behavior in in the sense that they're still spending as much or more money um, on promotion or on payments to doctors as they had before the Sunshine Act. They may be spending it in somewhat different ways, but they haven't um, decreased the amount that they're spending.
0: Hmm. And what uh, from, from what I read from the paper, there's no policies to restrict Financial conflicts of interest—is that still what
1: um, is? that would that depends on where you um, where you look. So some there are some places have adopted policies um, to restrict conflict. So, okay. for instance, Kaiser um, on the West U.S. West Coast mm-hmm. um, doesn't allow doctors to meet with sales reps. During their well, during the business hours, um, medical schools may have instituted um, restrictions on um, the kinds of relationships that physicians can have. But this is um, really a, um, a piecemeal effort. There hasn't been any large scale um, changes um, through, through legislation. Um, on what doctors can or can't do with, when it comes to drug companies.
0: Okay, and I wanted to ask you about medical journals. In the paper you mentioned that they don't use open payments to vet authors or reviewers, uh, I, You know I guess you know experts to come in and review articles. Is that still the case or do some journals do do that?
1: The only journal that I'm aware, that has a policy is the british medical journal so they their education articles and commentaries i believe you have to be conflict free to be able to write one of those um the new england journal of medicine used to um restrict commentaries um to people without conflicts but that changed um i I think 20 years ago, um, when the previous editor Jeffrey Drazen um, assumed the um, position as editor in chief. um, There may be smaller journals that restrict um, that that don't publish um, certain kinds of articles, if people have conflicts of interest, but I'm not aware of of what those journals might be.
0: Okay, okay. and in terms of spending, this article was published in 2021 or 2020? 2020,
1: I think you're 21. Article.
0: 21, okay. Because I, I, I looked up these uh, references that you mentioned in your paper, um, contributions to doctors from 20 top spending medical, med tech companies collectively more than tripled since the Sunshine Act. So just in terms, I'm just talking about impacting behavior. So obviously it didn't affect money, how much money um, the doctors were getting in that capacity.
1: That's right. That's, I mean, the drug companies um, are able, the Sunshine Act actually is not, has turned out to be not just um, a something that people who are Looking at the relationships between physicians and drug companies, use um, to at, to see if there's an association between um, receipt of payments and prescribing. The drug companies, well, um, data, big data, mm-hmm. are also using that information and then selling it to drug companies. So. Um, There's one company in particular called ICVIA Mm -hmm. um, that mines the information in the Sunshine Act together with information in the um, prescribing behavior in in the Medicare database, um, analyzes that and finds that um, there's a group of doctors who are prescribing more of one kind of antidepressant than another kind of antidepressant. And so they'll sell that information, companies buy that information and then use that information to target um, their promotion Mm -hmm. um, to the doctors. So the companies um, know that promotion influences prescribing, and are using the information from the Sunshine Act to, um, to their advantage.
0: Huh. Which is sort of the opposite of, w- of what the original intent of the Act was.
1: That's right.
0: Huh. Well, um, In the paper you wrote, apathy towards conflict of interest is not new, Some of the things you mentioned, doctors or researchers couldn't describe their university's conflict of interest policy. Um, And then again, there wasn't a decrease in payments to physicians um, since the act. Why is that? Why is it just people, is it just accepted as standard? People just don't care?
1: Partly that. I mean, but there's also doctors have a, a great deal of naivete around their ability to take money, meals, gifts, travel payments, what have you, from drug companies and remain objective about um, the the evidence regarding um, the benefits and harms of of medications that they're prescribing. So there's one study that was done um, somewhere in the U.S. Midwest, um, and they asked Re- residents and physicians, staff physicians, if they thought that <clears throat> um, interactions with, with pharmaceutical companies would influence their individual prescribing behavior. 1% of the people said yes, but then they asked those same people if their colleagues would be influenced, and about a third of them said yes, their colleagues would be <laughs> influenced a lot. So doctors do um, not individually think that they're, that they're educated, which they are, sure. um, that they're interested in patient welfare, which they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and that because of those things, they, um, they can take the money, they can eat the meals, yeah. and nothing is going to nothing's going to change and yeah. that's simply not true yeah. so if but if you have that belief um then you you see no reason to change your behavior
0: Hmm. yeah I, I i think that's human nature more than you know just being a doctor i feel like anybody oh yeah right you know oh this person gives me gifts they're nice we have this great relationship um and just sort of happens automatically
1: yeah, and that, that's what's called the gift relationship. Um, and the gift relationship typically operates at a, an unconscious level or a subconscious level. Um, and one way to think about the gift relationship is Christmas cards um, or holiday cards of, of some sort. Mm-hmm. You get a Christmas card this year from somebody... Who you didn't think was worthwhile sending one to, chances are that next year you're going to send a Christmas card to that person, even if you still don't think that they're worthwhile um, getting <laughs> one, because you got a gift from them. And that's what happens um, with doctors and um, drug companies. Doctors, by and large, are not being bribed by the companies. Um, some of a, a few, maybe, but Mostly they're not. Mostly, it's the idea that the sales rep was really nice to me. They remembered mm-hmm. my my wife's birthday, mm-hmm. um, or you know, they I got invited to this meal um, by a company, or they think that I'm important because they've asked me to give a talk, mm-hmm. um, and and I owe them something.
0: Mm. Yeah. Well, that's kind of in sales. They always tell you to establish a relationship, a personal relationship. And then, you know, you're more likely to buy whatever they're selling.
1: That's right. And um, and if you talk to people who used to be drug company sales reps, that's what they'll tell you. The doctors may think that, that you're their friend, but you think of them as your customer. Um, the relationship is not the same, um, is not reciprocal um, between doctors and sales reps. They have different views of each other. And if you stop um, prescribing a particular product made by that sales reps company, that sales rep will just drop you.
0: <laughs> so much for the friendship, huh?
1: That's right. <laughs>
0: um, I wanted to ask you, I thought this was an interesting fact, Um, which I I read from your paper, disclosing may actually enhance presenter bias. So does this refer to doctors speaking at various conferences? Uh, What does this mean, enhance presenter bias?
1: So what, and this is based on some experimental research, um, but basically what it means is, I get up um, to give a talk at at a medical meeting, um, and I disclose my conflicts. You know, I took money from X. Um, I got um, travel payments from Y, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And the audience thinks, "Gee, Dr. Lection is pretty honest. He's told us all about these things, and therefore we can believe what he's what he's telling us um, because he's an honest person." And then my attitude is well, I've told them what I'm, um, where I'm getting my money, um, and now, if I, if they don't, if they're going to be naive and um, accept everything that I say, that's on them, because they should be aware of my possible biases. So I feel more at liberty to exaggerate. Twist things because these the audience should should be um, should be more skeptical of what I'm going to say if I'm talking about in favor of a product made by a particular company.
0: Interesting. That's really interesting. Um, Let's shift gears into how the Sunshine Act affected consumer or patient behavior uh, from the paper. You mentioned that only about twelve percent of patients know that this payment information is even publicly available. Um, not, not many people know about this, but it doesn't seem that people really care about it.
1: That's right, and that seems especially true if you've got a if your your doctor is treating you for something that's a serious illness. Um, if you've got well, let's say cancer. Um, you you don't want to think that the kind of therapy that you're getting from that cancer is because of the last sales rep who visited your doctor. If you if you don't have faith that you're getting the best treatment um, from from your doctor, you may stop going to see that person. Um, you may stop um, taking the pills that you're being prescribed. So even if you find that your doctor is getting lots of money, you still have faith in them because your life is in their hands.
0: Hmm. That, and I get that. I also think too, when I think even just about myself, if I was thinking about going to a doctor for something, I would probably just look up reviews, you know, other people's reviews. I don't think, yeah, I don't know if I'd necessarily care that much about, um, you know, where they're getting, if, they, if they're getting, if their reviews are good. Uh, yeah. And I don't
1: know. And taking money from, from drug companies does not make you a bad person. No. I mean, yeah. you, can, you can have a great bedside, you can take lots of money, have a great bedside manner, sit down and discuss things with your patients, listen to what they're saying, um, mutually decide on, on treatment. Um, and you'll get great reviews, um, but you're, what you're, um, the kind of therapy you're delivering may still be influenced by your relationships.
0: Right, and I think that would be my bigger concern, would be, is the evidence-based biased? Is, is what they're choosing to use biased? It, um, I think that would cross my mind, um, even though they could still be an outstanding physician.
1: Yeah, and that's harder to get at. I mean, if you're Joe Blow um, from off the street, yeah, and you know, you know, you know as much about medicine as you get from reading the New York Times um, or watching CNN. You really have no way of knowing um, whether or not you're getting the best treatment for your medical problem. Um, you know, reading medical journals um, it requires a, a level of expertise mm-hmm. um, and understanding that most people just um, have not been trained for. Oh, so yeah. it's not the same as as your car has a problem and you can read the manuals yeah. and you can decide whether or not the mechanic that you've gone to um, is competent because... There are only so many things that can go wrong with cars. Um, Whereas the human body is incredibly complex. And what a drug that works for you may not work for me, Mm -hmm. and because of differences in genetics or environmental factors or what have you. Mm -hmm. Um, So you have to rely on your doctor. on your, on your doctor's expertise to a large extent have no way of knowing how much that expertise has been influenced by what, whatever relationships they may have with companies.
0: Right. Um, and, and two things I wanted to say about that, you know, thinking of Joe Blow, Joe Blow probably doesn't read the New York times or a medical journal at all, but what Joe Blow might care about is how much money's coming out of his pocket. And, you know, so that too, in terms of what drugs get promoted, you know, are they the most cost-effective ones or are they, you know, more expensive ones? Um, and, you know, we have that problem here in, in the U.S., obviously, where people just can't can't afford their medications.
1: Yeah, that problem exists in Canada too, although not, yeah,
0: not to the much. same
1: extent as in the U.S.
0: Yeah, and the other thing too I wonder about, uh, you know, doctors practicing physicians are so busy how many of them are really thinking about whether or not you know the medical journals are biased at all? I wonder I wonder about that.
1: Yeah, I don't know that anybody has necessarily looked into that. Um, but the medical journals are, even the the big ones are very reticent about disclosing their um, their finances. So the New England Journal of Medicine, for instance, um, sells reprints of articles. Um, by and large, they, the, the, it's the drug companies who buy them. So Pfizer has got a new um, oncology drug um, out. It's, it's been studied. There's been a reprint. Oh, there's been an article about that drug in the New England Journal of Medicine showing that it improves survival by two months. Pfizer may buy 500,000 copies of that article um, to distribute to doctors around the U.S. And um, the New England Journal, I don't know what they would sell that for, but they'll um, they'll make money off of that. But they don't disclose that really? uh, publicly. Um, wow. They don't disclose how much they make from the ads that they run in the journals, in their journal. And neither do... Um, As far as I'm aware, JAMA doesn't disclose that kind of information either. Um, So now the medical journals say that they're not influenced by um, their commercial relationships with companies, but in reality, we're taking their word for it.
0: We're taking their word for it. Hmm. Do you think there's a better way?
1: Well, I think that at least they should be transparent. About mm-hmm. where their their income comes from. So we get X m- number of dollars per year from subscriptions. We get Y amount from selling um, ads in our journal. We get Z amount from um, the reprints yeah. that we. And also name which companies, um, how much they get in ads from Merck, how much they get in ads from GlaxoSmithKline, etc. Um, so people can at least see that that mm. level of information um, and make make decisions um, based on that.
0: And you know, there seems to be, you know, and I've noticed this all through the pandemic. Just so there's like a trust crisis, you know, where people don't necessarily trust scientific information. So I'm surprised that the the journals don't do that, or there isn't a bigger movement to make them do that. Um, just to do things that start to, that would build trust. You know, I think when things are kept hidden from people, that's when that lack of trust increases. That's my theory anyways.
1: No, um, I think that's, that's really quite true that, that people think that they're, you're hiding something. Um, and whenever people think that you're hiding something, you're right, that the, um, the trust factor goes down. Even yeah. if what you're hiding is trivial,
0: mm-hmm. um, why yeah. are
1: you hiding it? Right. Why Why aren't you disclosing it?
0: Right. Right. And it, I, in your paper, you used the example of an affair, and I said, Yeah, it's like if you ever dated someone who's cheating on you, and then they're and you say, Let me see your phone, and they're like, No, no way. <laughs> you're going to be convinced that they're definitely cheating on you.
1: That's right. Yes.
0: <laughs> um, I. Couple more questions here, if that's okay. Sure. Okay. Yep. So, basically, from this article, you're concluding that transparency is not enough. So, what other things do you recommend? What are some things that could be done to make the system better?
1: Well, there, if you look at it from a, a rather simplistic point of view, there are two ways of dealing with conflict of interest. So one of them is, is managing it. And that's really what transparency um, is, is, um, involves, is disclosing your conflicts. and then um, having your conflicts being been disclosed, people can decide whether or not um, you're to listen to you. And if you've got large conflicts, you might have to be recused from certain kinds of activities. So the FDA in the US, um, if you get, I, I can't remember the amount of money, but if you've gotten above a certain amount of money um, from, com- from a company in a, in a one year period, you can't serve on its advisory committee. So that's managing conflicts of interest. The other thing to the other way of looking at this is um, avoiding conflicts of interest in the first place. Um, and avoiding financial conflicts is possible. There is nothing out there that says you have to be on somebody's speaker's bureau or you have to um, be on a company's advisory. Board, or that you have to take money to travel to Hawaii in the middle of winter to, to go to a conference. All of these things are conscious decisions that people make and they can either choose to do that kind of activity or they can choose not to. And I think that um, what when you're dealing with people who have a degree of power, I think there has to be a push to tell those people that you can't do those kinds of things. So faculty at medical schools who are teaching, um, teaching students, um, if they've got biases, those biases may be transferred to the students that they're teaching, either directly because they'll be talking about, a particular drug, or indirectly, because the way that they behave um, in terms of going to drug company meetings um, will, again, be something that medical students will see and think, okay, well, you know, Dr. X is doing it, and if she's doing it, then um, it must be okay, because she's an expert in this area. Um, So medical... People who work in medical schools should the medical schools should institute, I think, strict policies around what their faculty can do. People who um, work for influential or influential organizations like the NIH should um, have strict, there should be strict policies. And the way that information, medical information is transmitted through um, clinical practice guidelines um, or medical journal articles, there should be strict policies around who can sit, what's the composition of a um, clinical practice guideline committee, um, what are medical journals um, going to accept from authors who may have conflicts so, or depend, or who's financed the the art, the study? So, you know, medical journals won't take are by and large don't take articles that are funded by um, by tobacco companies. Um, well, that's no good. matter how <laughs> how prominent um, the the authors are. So, and why aren't the same standards being applied? To um, articles that where the first authors or the senior authors have significant relationships with drug companies.
0: Hmm. It's funny you mentioned that about tobacco industry. I just uh, I'm, I, I'm about to purchase a book, uh, but it talks about how the tobacco industry invented the words "junk science" um, to to stop people from questioning the the side effects from secondhand smoke. It was just um, yeah, yep. yeah, just uh, interesting, interesting how, how it can affect you know people's psychology. Yeah. That's junk science. Um, thank you so much, Dr. Lection. Are you, I know that you've researched this topic in, in different, well, industries influence in different ways and realms. Um, but if you're willing, if you'd like to talk, come on again and talk about a, a different aspect of this, it'd be interesting. Um, I don't know if there's anything, any other papers you're currently working on or something that you're super interested in right now, but I'd be interested in hearing that if you'd like to share it.
1: Um, well, right now, so I think one of the things that I've been doing is looking at conflicts of interest um, with Canadian um, patient groups, but I think you've already had, is that what Lisa Parker was talking about from Australia?
0: No, I actually wanted to do something on that because um, I don't know a lot about that, but I was I did my literature search. This is all this is like a totally grassroots podcast. It's a passion project, but it's uh, I'm interested in healthcare policy, and I work in public health, and you know I've just I just think that there's just such a trust crisis, and until we start addressing you know this influence of industry, I don't I think it's going to be very hard to build trust again. Um, and that's sad to me, you know, because it's just then. Then we don't know what's going on, you know.
1: Right, right. Well, you know, if if you wanted to have Lisa and me on together, yeah. we could talk about patient groups in Australia and Canada.
0: That would be fantastic, um, Lisa Doctor Parker. She um, did a great job. She talked about industry's influence on drug and therapeutic committees and how they and how they make their decisions. Okay. Um, so that was really interesting to me, and she and she talked a little bit about the system in Australia. And I like—I mean, I'm in the U.S., but I like to hear about um, other, you know, other countries' health systems and that kind of thing. So, yeah, that would be fantastic to have both you and Dr. Parker on. Um, okay,
1: well, sure, I'd be quite interested in doing that.
0: Um, thank you so much for your time. I look forward to sharing this. I'll probably email you and ask for a photo if that's okay. Just a
1: sure okay
0: thanks again and um enjoy the rest of your i'm not sure what time it is in canada it's
1: well i'm on the west coast Coast. so it's just after 11 in the morning
0: was wait are you in vancouver
1: victoria bc
0: oh okay i'm not familiar with um it's i I always wanted to go to the west coast (laughs) canada canada i've been victoria
1: Victoria is a nice smaller city um, Uh and it's the capital of British Columbia. It's on Vancouver Island on the South end of the Island from some parts of the um, Victoria. You can look and see Mount um, Mount hood in the, in Washington state.
0: Oh, that's gorgeous. I mean, I'm in New York. Well, I bounce around a lot, but right now I, I I have an apartment in New York city. It's like a concrete jungle, but the nature it looks so beautiful where you are, just the landscape and stuff. So, geez, I don't know. I'll jump in my, maybe I'll jump in. Can I get there by a van? No, I'd have to take a van and <laughs> 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 who knows? Who knows with me? Um, all right. Thank you for this. Okay. I'll be in touch over email. If that's okay.
1: Sure. No, that's fine.
0: All right. Bye-bye.
1: Okay. Goodbye.
0: All right, guys, thanks so much for joining in to this episode of Causes or Cures. Again, this was another episode, part of my overall theme of industry's influence on health. And I have more podcasts lined up in this area, so we'll get to those soon. As soon as I have a chance to edit them, Um, I need an assistant or something. My dog is my assistant, but he doesn't know how to edit podcasts. As luck would have it. Um, anyhow, thanks for joining in. I hope you subscribe, share, and we'll see you here next time for the next episode of Causes or Cures. All right, everyone. Bye-bye for now.